The Ties That Bind, Book One, by Liza Snow. Growing up, I was mesmerized by a man soaring the skies, the greatest silk aerialist in the world, Chandler Moreau. He was once my lifeline, the dream I clung to after my parents died. I've always believed he was my destiny, to join him in the Dreamers Academy, to perform for him, to soar with him. He's more than I ever imagined, far more than a mentor. When I'm high in the silks, turning, flying, falling, he's my lifeline once again, twisting my heart and my body into knots like the knots of his beloved Japanese rope bondage, Shibari. I don't want to live without him. With each lesson, each touch, I crave more. Only he can satisfy me, and only he can destroy me. But I must keep him safe from the past that relentlessly follows me. Chandler my protege, the student I've been waiting to take under my wing for my entire career. Someone with whom I could share my lifelong journey and my family circus, Cirque du Lys. I never intended to fall in love with the student I was supposed to protect, for myself and the demons that lurk in my shadows. But sometimes fate has other plans. Cassandra, my beautiful butterfly, I know she's off limits, forbidden, but still I want her in my life, my heart, and my bed. My grandfather's taunting words still linger, adapt and survive. It's what we must do. Cassandra and I share a history that entwines us more than the silks we've spent our lives mastering ever could. There are secrets from the past that we must never be told, and truths that could destroy what we've just begun. Obedience is available in a full cast narrated audiobook. It's brought to life the way the story is meant to be told, and you're going to love it. You can get it now in audio and in Kindle for 99 cents. Grab Obedience, Ties That Bound, Book One by Eliza Snow. Welcome back, lady listeners. Welcome back, lady listeners. Welcome back. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm just going to go ahead and call out my pink hands because I talk <laughs> with my hands a lot and I keep seeing pink like flash up. Yeah. Um, my youngest daughter, uh, I have a shampoo that's like bright fuchsia and she wanted to like color her hair. So we did some chunks tonight. So that's why I have pink hands. <laughs> yeah. And they're very pink. So anyways, um, we've got Ophelia Martinez with us this week. She has a brand new book called Blazing the Blizzard, which sounds steamy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um she's brought us that this week um and we're gonna play the whole episode in one big one so buckle up that's all buckle i gotta up. say <laughs> i'm we'll enjoying talk- the one episodes i know it's actually been really nice like when i've gone back through um the newer ones on youtube and uploaded them and like filling out the description because i don't want people you know I always worry that people would get confused, so I would number the episodes and stuff. And I honestly think that maybe that created more confusion, (laughs) numbering them as I did. So I went back through, I actually did this yesterday. I went back through all the YouTube videos, and now they're just part, it says part one of two and part two of two. Mm -hmm. So you know which ones you can go back through. I created a playlist that has all the videos on it. So you'll see um, this video up this week. It will be on there. And um, it'll just say, you know, Ophelia Martinez, Blazing the Blizzard, the complete audiobook. So you can just click on that one episode and go. 
But, um, you know, you and I were talking about it the other day with YouTube where we'll just kind of put it on in the background when we're doing stuff. Yeah. You know, a lot like, of the people and play it. Yeah. I don't even watch a lot of it. I'm mm-hmm. listening to people more than anything. I've noticed I click YouTube a lot lately mm-hmm. and just listening to commentary or whatever. Well, I'm listening to like interrogations. So they're very, <laughs> there's a lot of pauses and long moments because mm-hmm. sometimes they're like four hours long. Shit. But I'm not paying, sometimes they go, you know, I'm not even paying attention to some of the stuff they're saying when they're going quiet and all that crap. Yeah. I just turn it off and on. I was talking to one of my friends um, the other day when we were at something and I was like, oh, she says something about Memphis. And I was like, oh, making easy money, pimping hoes in style. And she was like, what? (laughs) And I was like, that's what Memphis stands for. Did you not watch Pimps Up, Hoes Down on HBO when you were 10 years old? (laughs) like am i the only one that was scarred by this i missed that one oh it was an hbo documentary it was done in the early 1990s (laughs) it was called pimps up hose down and it was literally a documentary based on the pimp hoe culture and it interviewed like i think like six different pimps or something and their girls and their lifestyle ice tea's in it he's getting like a permanent and stuff like it's it is wild it is wild but it's like oh the only thing i remember watching that my dad was like i don't know and then he was like okay you can watch it was like uh priscilla's drag queens of the desert oh i don't know that one yeah it was like one of the first like drag queen movies and they're oh, out in the okay. desert. And I was okay. like, this is like 25 years ago, I bet. I was young. Yeah. And it was raw. It was a little raunchy in places. I, I was going to say, yeah. Well, you know what? I was so young. It may not have been raunchy, but I thought it was raunchy. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah. So I like pulled up, I found it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I found the Pimps Up, Hose Down HBO special. You can go watch it. It's like an hour and 20 minutes or something long. I went and watched it and I was like, this is entirely inappropriate because <laughs> there's like i mean obviously you think that from the content but you know i was unsupervised a lot as a child but um there was like one part where they're all literally like it's they have um they call i think they call it like the player's ball and where all the pimps come in and they get voted who's the best pimp and it's like this big banquet thing and they're strippers and they're like taking off their clothes and it's just, and they're like doing, uh, it's just, it's all of it. I mean, it, I enjoyed it the second go around, I guess, but they, I didn't realize like how much just bullshit the men were talking in this too. It is so different seeing it from like an adult's perspective mm-hmm. now and like a feminist perspective too and how they talk about these women. It is just terrible. It's awful. But I watched the whole thing. So I was like, I got to relive this. I'm so, going to watch it because I like iced tea. I don't want to not like iced tea. He's, he's not, he's not a bad guy in it. He actually just talks about how, um, he didn't know he was like i'm not an actor i'm not a rapper i'm not anything he said i'm just a good shit talker and he was like that's how i got my check that's how i got my money and so that he said he he like told the story about how he went into a an executive record executive's office and the guy was like let me hear some rhymes and he was like he said look if i brought he's like we were on the street and i brought you a box of hand grenades Am I going to let you pull the pen and throw it or are you just going to believe me? He was like, that's up to you. You're either going to buy them or you're not. He was like, you either going to want my wraps or you don't. He was like, that's what it is. 
And the guy was like, okay, you're a pretty good businessman. He was like, you know, he said something about, um, he's like, okay, you know, makes sense. He was like, you know, you got to believe in me in order yeah. for us to be successful. It's not necessarily about what I can do. It's what are we going to do together? And then he was like, he said something about, um, he was like, you're a pretty good businessman. You done this for He was like, no, but I sold hand grenades. <laughs> like, I guess that's what he sold on the streets. And I was like, what the fuck I see? It was so good. And then um, he said, uh, he said on one of the things, he was like, oh, he said, he was like, no, he said, you might throw a hand grenade in this bad. He was like, that don't mean they're all bad. There might be some good ones in the box. He said, that's how rap music is. He was like, they might not all be hits, but some of them might be. Yeah. It's like, what is this guy doing? But he goes to the players ball and he's speaking about like how he's coming back to his roots and supporting his friends. And I'm like, what is happening? But I mean, he's still fun in it, but he doesn't have any hoes. So He's not like a pimp in it. He's just supporting the okay. industry. So okay. sounds like yeah. he can't even just run his mouth because that's what he's good at. Keeps his exactly. name relevant. Yeah. So it was just it. It's a hoot. I I like was just shaking my head the whole time I was listening to it. And then um, so that's what I did when I reorganized all the YouTube videos. I had that playing in the background because <laughs> I, I thought about you when I did it. I was like, oh, this is what Mel does. Yep. <laughs> she just listens to the shit. We got an email that I wanted to bring up to you because you asked a question and we got an answer. Yes. I'm so. excited for an answer because I seen a book the other day. I didn't put it on the list because it said goth organized yep. crime, mm -hmm. but it didn't say romance in any of it. Yep. This is gothic horror. Okay. So that's what this email is entitled. And I'm just going to call her Kay for short because I don't know if she wants her whole, her whole ass name on here. It says, Leah and Mel, hi, I'm a longtime listener. Beginning from around the time, I became a baby nurse and COVID hit. Last week is when I finally caught up. You were talking about gothic horror romance, and I just had to send an email. The first time, I specifically studied English literature in college and focused a lot on gothic literature. Some examples of classics would be Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, The Castle of Ontario by Horace Walpole, Dracula mm -hmm. by Bram Stoker. They usually have spooky settings, which include ghosts, vampires, and basically anything that could give you creepy vibes. Most of these are considered the beginnings of horror fiction. Sadly, I don't know any romances with these vibes, but even if you don't read this on the podcast, I'd love some recommendation for gothic romances. Love everything you guys do. Okay. P.S. Oh, sorry. P.S. Flannery O'Connor's a Good Man is Hard to Find is a great Southern Gothic example. Had to throw that in there because I'm from the South. Shout out Mississippi. So there you but go. That just sounds like paranormal. I guess so. Yeah. But I guess like it's more, um, but paranormal could be like, you could have a modern day vampire like Twilight. I wouldn't necessarily consider it Gothic yeah. romance. I guess maybe the setting is what it is would maybe pertain to she didn't really get specific as to why it was categorized okay you're gonna have to email us back tell us specifically why because like i think of um kelsey cole's one where she has the vampire one and she's oh Kelsey cole yeah yeah okay she's one where the guy is a ghost mm -hmm. and stuff like that i so guess like, maybe it would be considered that i don't know these books are like we just got new tags now. Oh, and I did I talked about the one um where the lady is um penetrated by um the mafia guy and his weapon. 
And somebody told me the name of the book. So I took a screenshot so I could say it in case anybody was wanting to know. It's on last week's episode. This lady listener is Sabrina. She said that book is called Haunting Adeline by H.D. Carlton. So she said, I thought I would tell you it's an awesome book. (laughs) So there you go. I don't know if it is or not, but she recommends it. So that's a good one to keep in your back pocket. Speaking of dark, though, the I thought the gothic horror would be a good segue into this one. We watched a movie the other day called Bones and All. Have you heard about this movie? Mm-mm. I don't know the actress. I had never seen her in anything before, but it has Timothy Chalamont or whatever that guy's name is. In yes, it. I know who you're talking about. Okay. From Dune and all those. Um, so he's in it. So it's the two of them. They're both great actors. Great. Um, it is so weird though. So in the preview, it's a little clip and this happens right in the beginning of the movie. No spoilers. Um, in the preview for the movie, she is over at a new friend's house. They're having a sleepover. There's a couple other girls there and they're laying on the floor, like just talking. And the girl's like, Oh, can't you stay the night? And she's like, no, I have to get back. I can't stay. And she's like, are you sure? And she's like, no, my dad would be really mad. And so the girl's getting her nail paint, her nails painted. And she's like, oh, what do you think? And she holds up the color and the girl that says she can't stay, the actor, she's like, oh. And then she grabs her hand and she brings it to her mouth and she bites down and she bites her finger off. And the girl just starts screaming. And then it shows the actress running from the house, running to her house and beating on the front door. And her dad answers the door and he was like, fuck you didn't did you you didn't don't tell me you didn't do it and he's like fuck he was like we got two minutes get everything you got two minutes starting now you got to get everything in your bag we got to go we got to go and they leave town so it turns out and again this is in the previews but um and it starts right away you kind of figure out what's happening but she has to eat people Mm -hmm. like that's just kind of like part of what she does sounds like that with the Drew Barrymore cannibalism thingy oh drew barrymore yes sonny claire's or something claire's oh the santa clarita diet yes that one okay yeah yeah so maybe yeah a little bit like that yeah okay so she can eat um but this is like more of like a dark romance Mm -hmm. sort of thing so um she goes out she has to go out on her own her dad's like I can't take care of you anymore. I can't do this anymore. Like you're on your own. I can't help you. I couldn't help your mom. And so he takes off. And so um, she's kind of on her own and she's drifting and she's trying to find like her mom, her birth mother. And so um, on the way she like sends another one of her. And for the first time, like she's never met anyone else like her. And she was like, I thought I was the only one. And so Timothy Shalomai or however you say his name, um, he is one too. And so they had to eat people and it's not all the time. It's just like every so often they just get like this compulsion and they mm-hmm. have to like eat a person's flesh. And so it's about that. Like the story is like, some of it is really brutal to watch, mm-hmm. but in a way, like their story about how they find each other and rely on each other and fall in love is really beautiful too. But it's like this horribly tragic 
love story like it's yeah. so that weird. sounds like it would be horror romance yeah i know like when i was watching it i'm like made a note to talk about it on the podcast because i was like i feel like mel would really like this <laughs> because it's like it's kind of fucked up and it's a li- it's sort of shot like on a true crime kind of thing mm-hmm. like it's not a documentary style but it felt very much like she was telling a story of yeah. like this true crime that happened and I just kept thinking I was like I think Mel would really like this because it's kind of horror it's sort of fucked up like it's but it's good it's so well done you know so somebody well somebody had asked me about uh the Gwyneth Paltrow trial or whatever and oh I was god because like, I always think of her as Pepper Potts and I was oh like, yeah I okay. was hated so- her as Pepper Potts I was like she's lucky she was with Iron Man that's yes. why it didn't bother me so much that Gwen played the part. Because I'm not a huge mm-hmm. Gwen fan. Because I was yeah. like, I either want you to be Captain America where you're really perfect. Mm-hmm. Or Loki, you're going to kill everybody. For me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. There's I, no Iron Man, Iron Man doesn't work for me. No, because he's yeah. like a good guy asshole. Yeah, I'm like, it no, doesn't I want work. <laughs> Captain America or mm-hmm. Loki. There's yeah. no in between. Mm-hmm. Is it because he's a man whore? No, he's some of his, um, I don't like some of his attitude. Mm -hmm. Uh, To be honest, I think he's a Republican. (laughs) Like if Iron Man is? Like if we had to, because there are two teams. And to me, Captain America is the Democrat and Iron Man is the Republican. Okay. When they go have to do their face off when they have the Civil War. Okay. Because Iron Man's like, we need to start making a list. Like of all the people with powers, and Captain America's like, you want to make a what? Because he came from the Nazis. Oh shit! And he's that's like, right. What do you want to make? Cost? What did yeah. you just say? He's <laughs> like, we're not making no fucking list. <laughs> and that's where that kind of starts. From yeah. There. Okay. All right. That makes sense then. So. Oh, God. Uh. So I don't know. Like, so what about the Gwyneth Paltrow? How do you feel about it? Oh, I know about it. Tell me how do you feel about it? You said somebody asked you how you felt about it. Or they asked me what was happening. They're like, I'm oh, seeing okay. so many weird okay. TikToks. I was like, mm-hmm. she's gonna win. The wow. guy's lawyer is terrible. <laughs> she shouldn't even be there because technically this guy ran into her. Yeah. He ran into her. I don't her. understand like why why she just didn't offer to pay him off. Because he said three million dollars. Oh. And then she was like, All right. And then he was like, three hundred thousand. She's like, No, we're you wanna play, we're gonna play. Oh, so now shit. she's countersuing him for a dollar. I saw that. So like, but he has to pay her legal fees and her legal, which fees. are probably going to be hundreds of thousands. Yeah, her, her lawyer is good. I mean, yeah. seeing this lawyer get up and the other lawyer get up, I'm like, mm-hmm. it's embarrassing. It's like so embarrassing. But the mm-hmm. guy has, and I see people on TikTok. They're like, Gwen is so stupid or whatever. I'm not a Gwen fan either. Mm-hmm. But she's right in the situation. He ran into her. Actually, mm-hmm. he hit her and she goes, motherfucking shit, you hit me. And he actually says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. There's multiple witnesses that get down the thing. And he's all, everybody says that he ran into her. And then it's yeah. not until she leaves and she actually texts somebody. And she's like, "That some motherfucker ran into me, the text said. Yeah. And the other guy didn't start complaining like he fell back down after somebody said you know you just plowed into Gwyneth Paltrow because they had helmets on oh yeah okay and then he said all of a sudden he's back down on the ground <laughs> like I'm gonna get something out of this but here's the problem this is what got him I was dying I was like this is a pure man 
he goes shit. So when he did his testimony, like, or before the testimony, whenever you do like your briefs or whatever, I forget what the word is called. God, what's the super word I'm talking Affidavit? I don't know. Whenever you yeah. talk, the loyals try to talk it out for him. Deposition. Okay. Um, in the deposition, he was like, I'm five eight and <laughs> something pounds. But really, and then they come back and he's trying to explain that he's a small guy. But now all of a sudden he's five five, which is real high. Which he sort of meant that. But it just goes to show you all the lying he was doing. And the guy was like, the lawyer was like, So you like you shrank three inches? Do you have like that that back thing? Where you're like your muscles are coming together. Oh, God, stop! Did he really? Yeah. Oh, that's embarrassing. But oh, everybody's making fun of Gwen's faces, but I actually like them because they. One time they said she lied and she didn't. She was like, and then she was on the test when he said they were like. She was like, and then you said such and such motherfucker, and she goes, I did. And she looks to the jury and she goes, Sorry for my terrible mouth. <laughs> Not really. It was like a very like. Not really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my but, god. But yeah, it's he lied a bunch, so I can't even believe. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the lawyer anything called he's going to say. Yeah, now. so yeah. many lies after lie after lie. I'm just like, and then let's not forget, whenever you go to a baseball game, mm-hmm. or you play, you're playing football, mm-hmm. or jumping out of a plane, there is a risk, an mm-hmm. inherent risk when you walk into a baseball field. You might be hit. With a ball. Yeah. Yeah. There is a known risk. Mm-hmm. And that is a risk you take. Man. I mean, there's even a legal word for that. I don't remember yeah. off the top of my head. But I'm sure she'll thing. end up winning just because, yeah, I think the guy's like an the idiot. The lawyer is so, so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> All right. So tell me what's going on uh, with your cups. Before we uh, started recording, I was telling Mel um we're waiting on another piece of the book boxes to come in and then we can start ordering stuff so it's really exciting we're waiting on cups um for the podcast so i said oh i'm gonna send you one as soon as they come and you were like what happens like i need hold on we'll talk in a second just one day the whole shelf crashed like the middle shelf of the cups so the middle shelf fell in your cabinet yeah so the middle shelf of glasses fell down on the second shelf of glasses what kind of shelf did you have that it busted like Actually, that? Actually, those are brand new cabinets. I uh, know, after the fire. <laughs> yeah, they're brand new, personally installed, mm-hmm. built, custom cabinets. So I don't, I don't know. What the hell? So, But luckily, cup- thankfully, mm-hmm. I was like, I kept waiting to see what cups I had left. Because mm-hmm. there's some I really like, like my nasty bitches and some mm-hmm. of, luckily my kids take cups to their fucking rooms and that actually <laughs> saved a bunch of my favorite cups i think oh wow so, so what happened like were they glass yeah like all oh. the coffee cups and stuff everything shattered oh no like and even when it fell it like knocked the doors open so then it's oh so Some they of just the cups came out knocked the floor. down and they hit the countertop and then hit the floor that sucks mm-hmm. Did you have a ghost in that house? What's going on over there? I heard it and I was like, I stepped down. I was like, what happened? I didn't look. And he was like, Mm -hmm. the cups all fell. And I was like, I don't want to know. I went back upstairs. (laughs) So there could be more at play that you're not aware of, but you don't want to know what the situation was. You know what? I kind of feel you on that too, where I just feel like, (laughs) so actually, when I. So when I see one of my cups I like, I'm like, oh, this one made it. Instead of being like all sad. 
so I don't realize it's total of what is missing yet. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you collect cups and people send cups and I stuff know. like that. I know. Especially, like, mugs and stuff. Mm-hmm. I cannot uh, – whenever the whenever they come in, I can't wait for you to see them because they look so cute. They're, like, pink and sparkly, and they have little kitty cat ears on them. And I'm going to put the sticker on it, and I'll send it to you. It's going to be so freaking cute. I can't wait. I love cups. I'm really excited. This book's bo- this book box is going to be really cute. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to have a bunch of cute stuff in it. So most of it's here. I'm hoping all of it gets here before I go on vacation because we're leaving for two weeks. We're doing New England. Um, by the time you hear this, the trip will be over. But I did post up on Instagram and I asked if anybody had any um, recommendations for local bookstores or for good places to eat. And so... I was surprised a ton of people sent bookstore. I've got like four on my list. I've got a hit in different cities. Yes. I was like, this is awesome. That's my favorite thing to do when I go to a new city is to try to find a local bookstore and just browse, see what they got, check out all other good stuff. So, okay. but I'll, I'll report back when I'm done. Um, I meant to ask, have you been reading anything lately? No, I've been doing documentaries. I know. I was thinking that too. And you know, I don't think it's just you and I either. Like I have the Kennedy Ryan book that I finished and it was so good. So sweet. I loved it. The coming home one, that was the audible original. Yeah. But um, I saw Nisha Sharma. I follow her on, she's an author. I follow her on TikTok. And she was saying the other day that she was doing, there's like a trans rights uh, readathon that was going on. Mm-hmm. And um, so people were like reading a lot of different like trans, I guess, uh, either written by trans people or uh, including trans characters. So um, she was doing, she participated in it and she was saying that it really helped her get out of her reading funk. And she was like, I don't know if anybody else is feeling me on this right now, but she was like, since the start of the, since the first of the year, she was like, I have just not been able to get into a book. I wonder if it's just time of the year, kind of like seasonal depression. I think it's it like is. the not read yeah. moment, mm-hmm. watching well, shit. And it's like that for me when all the Christmas stuff comes down. And it's like, because I read so many cozy Christmas books mm-hmm. and I love them and all the holiday stuff. And it's like when those go away, I'm like, I don't want anything. You know, <laughs> it's like I just like immediately rebel against all the other stuff. But I will say I've got pre-orders for like three or four books that are coming up in the next couple of months. That I am so excited about that. Um, you know, they're like going to be good summer reads. Yeah. So I think that's like maybe I'm making that mental shift. Like you say, like seasonal depression sort of thing. I've, I've been going back and listening to some of my old favorites when I'm in the car because I just don't want to start anything new and nothing's yeah. just grabbed my attention. So I don't know. I'm like I said before. I'm just such a mood reader that it just depends on what I feel like. I know, and I keep telling myself I need to stop listening to some of the crime documentaries because Mm -hmm. I think that doesn't put me in the mood for romance. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know what? Watch Bones and All because it's got a little romance in it. It's fucking (laughs) creepy, (laughs) but it's good. Um, Check it out. Yeah, let's talk about Ophelia Martinez. You have got her stuff, so you're going to be the one to talk about it this week. Oh. Like I said, we have got the book Blazing the Blizzard with us today. And, well, you can go ahead and say what you have, and I'll pull it up. It is part of a series called The Industrial November on Tour. So it's like a rock band series. And there's like one, two, three books out already in the series, but they're all standalones. So I think you're just going to really get a taste of that world. 
Yep. And if you like it, you can go on to read more in the series. And they're all in Kindle Unlimited. Yep. And then she also has another Rockstar book out. And it's not connected to that one. Like, it's on its standalone all by itself. That I guess she just loves rock stars. Yeah. Well, I think she yeah. even said, you know, she was on the podcast with us last season, which mm-hmm. was awesome. And um, I think she said when she was on there um, that she like whenever she said oh, she wanted to do it again, like she agreed to come back on the podcast. She was like, I think I'm going to do a rock star book. So this was like around this time last year that she was already preparing for. And I think maybe because she had these other books and mm-hmm. like a new release coming up that are all in it. So that was so, yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. She's got all these rock star books to come out, a brand new one come out. It looks like it's um with a bunch of other authors and it's in Kindle Unlimited, but it looks like you get like 20 books mm-hmm. for $2.99 or free in Kindle Unlimited. She actually just stars. emailed me. Did she really? <laughs> yep, she did. She just emailed me a second ago. I saw it pop up and I was like, let me scan this real quick. She said, um, scorching the touch paperback giveaway in the U.S. is what she's doing for her giveaway this week. So make sure you enter that. Um, scorching the touch is part of the industrial November on tour rock star romance series and features the following tropes. It's a billionaire rock star plus size telenovela diva high steam with a dash of taboo. Um, Latin, Latino and Latin American, uh, sorry, main characters. Uh, it says toxic as fuck, hate to love couples, and also see content warnings on that. And it features a modern day Heathcliff paired with a modern day Daisy. So that's cute. Um, she says Scorching the Touch is a complete standalone novel with a guaranteed happily ever after. And all books in the Industrial November on Tour series can be read in any order. So that's pretty cool. Um, if you want to keep reading more steamy rock star romances, you can find Blazing the Blizzard along with 16 other novellas and the Rock My World anthology featuring 16 authors, which is really cool. I think it's and, 21. Oh, is it? I don't know. Maybe they added more. It says 21. <laughs> maybe. maybe I'm wrong. It's like, bitch, I wrote it. I wrote in this shit. I know it's 16. <laughs> yep. She's like, I think I would know. I know. <laughs> Um, and she said, lastly, you can get a free novella in the medical romance series when you sign up for Ophelia's Reader Club newsletter. Incision is free when you sign up for the Reader um, the Reader Club at, and then she has, we'll put the the link in the show notes so you'll be able to see it down there. So, yeah, that's, that's all her good stuff. So, I'm super excited that... She's got everything and and you guys are going to love it. And if you want more free from her as well, go back and listen to Palpitation. That was the book she had with us last, uh, I think last season um, or last year on the podcast. So we're going to try to do seasons by years now. So it's easier to keep up with. So last year on the podcast, she had that with us. The cover is so freaking hot. It's got that guy wrapped in the American flag. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? It's oh so my hot. God. Yeah. And the book is so good. Like, I I don't know what I was expecting because I hadn't read an Ophelia Martinez book. Yeah. So when I listened to it, I was like, oh, my God, this is so hot. And it was sweet. And he's just like, he's the perfect hero because he's sort of like, it's like a second chance romance kind of thing. But he, um. 
he's like always loved her, you know? So like when he's back in town and she's back too, and it's like, he just dotes on her and cares for her. And it's like, no, you need to rest and this and that. And he's like helping her, like changing her pajamas and all stuff. And it's like this, the care that he has for her was just so freaking sweet. So I love that. Go back and listen I'll to link that. that so you guys can easy click through to get, find it. Yeah. Yeah. So make sure you check that out. Awesome. Send them in. Let's do it. We'll see you guys on the other side. This is Blazing in the Blizzard by Ophelia Martinez. Read for you by Ruby Hunt. Chapter 1 Roger When I find Sophia and Bren at our banquet table... My ass has barely touched a seat for the first time all day when Sophia says, Roger, isn't that Joanna Elliot talking with Fritz and Erica? I spring to my feet, in tempo with my jaw muscles tightening. I follow Sophia's gaze until I find Fritz, Erica, and Joanna huddled together, standing near the bar. Fritz and Erica are the megawatt celebrities of this luxury tequila launch party. But it's the sight of Joanna that sinks a cinder block to my stomach. Her golden brown skin is nearly the same shade as her lacquered gold dress. From this distance, she appears to be naked and dipped in honey. I loosen my bow tie a fraction. Stop it, Roger. You fucked once. Once. It meant nothing to her. Let it go. After taking a deep breath, I work on strengthening my resolve. As Industrial November's manager since the band's inception, I've been the only thing keeping this ship from sinking. Industrial November simply cannot take another hit. Between our original guitarist being exiled and replaced, our lead singer's paternity leave, and the declaration of war between Fritz, our bass player, and Erica, Mexico's most notorious telenovela diva, the band is hanging on by a thread. Joanna could tip it all over with her so-called music reporting. She's the one person I know who could find that thread and pull on it, unraveling my blood, sweat, and tears over nearly a decade. I'm well aware Industrial November made her career. At the start, I even gave her some leads. I liked her once. Those first few years when she was still a green reporter, still sweet, not yet battle-hardened. It all washed away the more she prioritized her career over her integrity. Watching her moral downfall as her career soared was a sorry sight if I ever saw one. When we finally had a night together at last year's New Year's party, it was explosive but so damn angry and bitter. I had already lost any ounce of respect I had ever afforded her, and I'm sure she lost all respect for me as well. I stand a few feet behind the group to attempt to overhear what her aim is in being here tonight. After you bought a date with Fritz at the Celebrity Bachelor auction, I thought nothing came of it, but here you both are. Care to make a statement? Joanna asks. Erica blinks at her, a crease forming between her brows. A statement? Before Joanna can answer, Fritz explains it to Erica. 
Joanna writes for Steel Hard Rock magazine, has been following the band for a while. Joanna laughs softly. You could say Industrial November made my career, she says. Erica's laugh is different now, a bit nervous. I'm sure Joanna didn't notice, but I know Erica like the back of my hand. Well then, Erica says. Officially no comment. Before Erica can make her escape, Joanna fires the next question. And off the record, have you two been dating since the charity auction? I swallow. If either Fritz or Erica ever speaks about their relationship, brutal NDAs will trigger, ending them both, not to mention their careers. And Industrial November. Industrial November will go down with them. I don't let either of them open their mouth. Joanna, I snarl, and she turns to face me. What are you doing here? That honey water sweet smile of hers, the one she uses during interviews, is plastered on her face, and I want to bite her lips so hard I'd wipe off that grin. I'm covering the launch of Joali Tequila, Joanna says. You're a music writer. Did you forget that? Her eyes narrow a fraction before she rebuts. And the highest earning bass player in the world has teamed up with Velvet Fire to launch this exclusive tequila. There's a story here, and I'm going to find it. I step forward and grab her arm. I scramble through my brain to find something I can redirect her with, anything to get her off Erica and Fritz's tail. The only thing you're going to find is my ire, I say, and walk away with her firmly in my grip. I lead her out of the venue and toward the terrace. The evening is cool when we step out, and the quiet is an inviting contrast to the party taking place inside. There's no story here, Joanna. You know Fritz. Businessman first. This was a business decision. Joanna scoffs at me, scoffs, the audacity. I'm sorry, but that banquet hall heated about a million degrees when Fritz's eyes landed on Erica, the second she entered the room. Thinking quickly on my feet, I say, Fritz is now on the board of Velvet Fire Tequila Co. It's a pretty boring story, if there is one, and nothing to do with music. Joanna shrugs. Maybe. But if I'm the first to break the news about a secret relationship... She trails off when I approach her and gets so close I can feel her tequila-laced breath on my lips. We all got samples of the reserve batch this evening, and the grapefruit and caramel notes still linger in the space between us. There is no story here, Joanna. Get that through your pretty little head. You don't get it, do you? She asks, sounding a little sad now. Get what? I'm a music writer, Roger. A music writer. When have I ever written about their personal lives? Yes, there has been a lot of gossip reporting. But I dare you to find a single line of any of it in any of my pieces. Joanna. She holds up a hand to silence me.
No, listen to me. I don't care about their personal lives. I'm here to write about music. Then you're wasting your time at a business function. Am I? Because I know one of these days, Roger Kemp, you are going to lead me to Milo Metzasalma, and I'm going to strike gold. When she mentions our old guitarist's name, my eyes narrow. At that minuscule reaction, she tilts her head, a tell she has when she's sniffing a story. When she's studying someone, their body language, what they say verbally, and, more importantly, what they don't say. For Joanna Elliot, what is not said is just as important as what is. Milo is not, and has not been since the day he walked away, in contact with the band. You have to let this go. She pouts her lips dramatically. I know for a fact he co-wrote songs with Bren for the last album. You're delusional. Bren swore he'd never speak to Milo again after they cut him from the lineup. Here's the thing. There's a cadence to the songs they write together. It goes unnoticed by most. But Milo. Milo co-wrote with Bren in the Breaking This Way album. So that has me wondering, does Fritz know? What about your new guitarist, Carl? Are they aware they're still playing Milo's music? My heart sinks to replace that cinder block in my stomach. This fucking brilliant woman. She's going to ruin me. And the biggest international rock band the world has ever seen will go down with me. Chapter 2 Joanna I lean over the terrace and cross my arms in front of me, giving Roger a head start going back inside. It's dark out now, and I can no longer see the expansive agave fields before me in front of the hacienda. They took my breath away when I saw them yesterday as I scouted the location for today's party and took photos. The mariachi music filters into the terrace, with the party in full swing. I have to go back inside. That's where the information is. I take a spine-strengthening breath and pull my shoulders back. Roger has to lead me to Milo. He just has to. I've followed this lead for nearly a year, with very few results. If I fail, my editor will cut the story likely take me off covering Industrial November, and reassign me. On the other hand, if I succeed, I can make editor. So there are no two ways about it. I have to find Milo and be the one to break this story. When I'm halfway to my table, I stop, as I notice Roger huddled closely with Industrial November's vocalist, Bren. Those sandy brown tresses are unmistakable, even from the back of Roger's head. Nearly a foot taller than most men in this room, save for Bren, Roger is easy to spot. Bren hasn't noticed me standing behind Roger either. They're speaking in German for privacy. But Roger really should know better by now. I understand them perfectly. We have a problem, Roger says. Is the problem about five, six, curvy, brunette, and smarter than you? Bren asks cheekily. 
Roger groans in response. I have a situation. She's sniffing around Milo. That information changes Bren's playful tone into a serious one. She can't find him. I know. I'm due to check in on him, but Bren, we might have to tell the guys. If she breaks it, it'll be worse if it doesn't come from you. Bingo. I knew I was right. Now just lead me to him, you jerk. Okay. What do we do? Bren asks. I should head to Kansas City tonight. There's a snowstorm coming in tomorrow afternoon, and I don't want to risk flights getting canceled. Okay. Why are you hesitating then? Bren asks. Roger's tone grows more exasperated with every word. With everything going on with Fritz and Erica? I can't leave. What if Fritz does something stupid? I'll handle Fritz. You go check in on Milo. Make sure he's good. Move him if you need to. Bren pauses. What? I got this. Have some faith in me, damn. Okay, I guess I have no choice. So help me God, Bren. If you don't tame Friedrich Hartmann, I will end you and your band. I tiptoe away so they don't see me and pull out my phone to book the next flight to Kansas City. When I ordered takeout to a car instead of a residence, the delivery guy gave me a funny look, but said nothing after a hefty tip. I'm parked in my Jeep Wrangler outside the condo building where the band has settled. I've been here three hours, and so far, no signs of Roger. Briefly, I wonder if he might have beaten me to KC, but there is no way. I selected the flight that would get here the earliest, and I didn't see Roger on that flight. I bite into my double cheeseburger without peeling my eyes from the garage entrance. I didn't get a chance to eat dinner at the party, and there was no way I'd make any stops and risk missing Roger. A stakeout is a stakeout. By three in the afternoon, I finally glimpse his ridiculous lime green Porsche 718 Boxster. Disgusting color? Maybe, but it sure has been helpful in trailing him when he visits the band in Kansas City. As I follow at a distance so he won't spot me, the heavy snow plumes dusting my windshield are worrisome, and I squint at the darkening sky. The storm will not miss us, and we're two hours outside of the city now, in the middle of nowhere, with no signs of Roger stopping. If we keep going much farther, we're going to be caught in the middle of it, on the bright side, Roger has given no indication he's aware I'm tailing him. Three hours into our drive to nothingness, it finally happens. Roger's sports car skids so much that he loses all control and spins several times before he flies off-road and gets stuck. For one second, I consider stopping so he won't see me, but I have the gnawing suspicion it's already too late. And besides, visibility is dangerously low, so keeping on driving doesn't seem like the best idea either. I pull up next to him on the side of the road and get out of the Jeep. When I knock on his window, he startles for a moment, then gets out of the car. The snow starts to build on his warm brown hair. He's let it grow so much since I saw him last year, and it frames his eyes, nearly reaching his cheekbones. 
What are you doing here? He asks. You're like a curse. Well, it looks like you need some help, I say, eyeing his car behind him. He glances at the sky for a moment, his hands on his hips, while he takes a deep breath. Finally, he looks at me with those hazel eyes boring into me. Instead of anger, as I've become accustomed to, he says coolly, Do you have cell service? Let's check. It's in the car. I wave him over, and we both get in. I immediately check my phone for bars, but none come up. Great, he grumbles. He pinches the bridge of his nose. I can't believe I'm about to say it. I flash him my teeth. Oh, it's not so hard. I'll help you out. Joanna, will you help me? You know what? Forget it. He's opening the door when I pull him back by his coat sleeve and reach over to shut it again. Oh, come on. I'm only teasing. There's nothing we can do right now. Can you drive us back? I snort. Look outside. I can't see a damn thing. We're going to have to wait. An hour of uncomfortable silence later, his growling stomach breaks the silence. I can't help but laugh. Hungry there? Roger rolls his eyes, but the ghost of a smile creeps into the corner of his mouth. I reach in the back seat for my takeout bag and rummage through it. I have half of a three-hour-old cheeseburger, I say, handing it to him. I'll pass on the salmonella, thanks. I roll my eyes. I'm sure it's perfectly fine. I won't risk it. I rummage through my purse next and pull out a granola bar. What about this? Think we should ration it in case we're stuck here for days? We're not going to be stuck here for days. This is a heavily trafficked road. You don't know that. The storm will be long gone by tomorrow. I'm about to hand it to him, and his hand stretches out, but I pull the package close to me again. I don't know. What would you give me for it? Roger's entire body turns as he readjusts his seating position to look me in the eye. That piercing glare intimidated me so much those first few years on the job. But now, I can face it like a total ice queen without so much as a flinch. Are you extorting me, Miss Elliot? I would never, I say, pretending to clutch my imaginary pearls. Fine. What do you want for the cereal bar? One hour with Milo, on the record. Roger runs a hand over his face. This again. Yes, this again. That's where you were going, wasn't it? To see Milo? Du bist eine Hexe. I'm not a witch. Roger blinks at me. I forgot. You learned German. I narrow my eyes at him. You think that a decade following a German metal band wouldn't be enough of a reason to learn it? What is your obsession with them anyway? Are you in love with Bren or Fritz like everyone else? Oh, yes. My interest in music has to be some silly little girl crush, right? Don't be so dense. Well, what is it then? I shift in my seat, still clutching the granola bar. Come on, Roger says. 
Out with it. We might be here all night. Might as well talk. Fine. If you must know, it's not them I'm in love with. It's the lifestyle. Music reporting is a dying field, at least in print media. But that's all I ever wanted to do. I should have been there in the 70s, you know, following Patti Smith. I should have covered the end of punk and the rise of hair bands, stadium tours. You wanted to be a groupie? In a sense. I just wanted to be there and write about it. Roger nods as if he's finally understanding me. What? I ask. You were born in the wrong decade. I was. And Industrial November is the closest I'll ever have to that. No other band comes close. When he stays quiet and pensive for a long time, I add, Would a crush on Bran have been easier for you to digest than a passion for writing about music? No, he says, leaning forward, resting his forearm on the wheel in front of me. With one finger, he trails the wrapper of the granola bar still in my hand. I cannot give you Milo. What else do you want besides his location, hmm? His voice has gotten hoarse. And even in the dark, I can make out his pupils expanding with his arousal. I remember that from last year. How they consumed the hazel of his iris, darkening his gaze when he looked at me. His finger drops, trailing down my belly, and runs over my jeans fly over and over, up, down, up, down. Is there anything you want from me? Anything I can give you right here, right now? The motion of his hand over my jeans makes me stutter for words, and all I can do is bite my lip. A flash of that party a year ago, him carrying me to his room and taking the frustration of a decade out on my body. They say angry sex is hot, but hot is an understatement. Lucky for us, I'm sure Roger and I will never see eye to eye. Instead of continuing to bite my lip, I decide to lean forward and bite his. A guttural groan escapes his throat, and he bites my lower lip back. He bruises my mouth with the ferocity of another angry kiss, conjuring so many memories of that night. Flashes of barely there bite marks on my thigh, my fingers digging to his back, and my ponytail in his grip all greet me behind my eyelids until I'm breathless. I didn't notice him unbuttoning my jeans or undoing my zipper, so it's the feel of one finger plucking my panties to the side that has my eyes flying open and I break our kiss. Searching my eyes, he asks, Want me to stop? Hör auf und du stirbst. And I mean it. This man will die if he stops. He chuckles, and I grab his coat lapels to pull him to me. His tongue remains in my mouth the entire time he fingers me. He teases, pumping his fingers with agonizing slowness. I pull away for only one second when I can no longer take it anymore. I need to come, I whimper. He grabs my hand, 
and pulls it into my jeans, his own hand covering mine, our fingers lining up. Teach me how you make yourself come. With our hands, not breaking contact, I pleasure myself, humping my hand, and by extension his, until I come in waves so strong, the white from outside seems to flood all around us for a flash. For one second, I lose sight. And when it's back, Roger is smiling at me, my hand cupping my pussy and his hand cupping mine. He raises an eyebrow. That was worth at least one granola bar, no? I laugh and hand him the bar. His hand leaves mine to take it, and I hurry to zip up my pants again. When I snort, he asks, what? Granola whore? Chapter three, Roger. When I laugh at her statement, Joanna stares at me for a moment. What, I ask, annoyed. She shrugs. I don't think I've ever heard you laugh. That can't be true. Not once. She pauses and grows pensive for a moment. Not around me, anyway. Maybe on TV at some point, but never in my presence. As I chew the granola bar, I try to think if that's true. And she must be right. When she's needed something from me, she has been a presence. Anyway, she says, shrugging off the thought. I think I saw a sign for cabin rentals a couple of miles back. Think we can risk trying to get there and stay for the night? I duck to look up at the sky, but can't see past the inches of snow already encasing the windshield. I don't know, I say doubtfully. I know it'll be risky, but we're going to freeze if we get buried in snow here. I think it's worth a shot. I shake my head. No, visibility is crap. We should sleep here. It's supposed to move on by morning, and I'm sure they'll have cleared the roads by then as well. I'm not too keen on freezing to death, she says. We're not going to freeze to death. We're both wearing plenty of winter clothing, and we have shelter. We'll be fine. Okay, then. I don't want to sleep in a car. I pause for a moment, studying her. You don't want to sleep in a car? Or you don't want to sleep in a car with me? Is there a difference? An uncomfortable car sleep is an uncomfortable car sleep any way you dice it. I still think it's too much of a risk to try to head back. I swear, it was only like two miles. No one else was stupid enough to get on the road. We can take it slowly. You're so stubborn. Pot, meat, kettle, she says. I suck air through my teeth. Fine, let's head back. Balling up the granola bar wrapper, I stick it in my pocket. When I grab the door handle, Joanna leans across my body and snatches my hand away as she did earlier. What do you think you're doing? She asks. I point with my thumb out the window. If we're heading back, I'm taking my car. Then Joanna laughs, long and hard. I'm sorry, but that sad excuse for a car is not going to make it an inch forward, let alone two miles back. I'll drive and bring you back when they've cleared the road tomorrow. 
Excuse me? That sad excuse for a car? Take it back, Joanna. I mean it. Never, she says, and sticks out her tongue at me, making her look much younger than her 32 years. That right there is fine German engineering. Yeah, yeah, tell it to the ditch it's currently in. I'll drive us. Under her breath, she mumbles, but I don't miss it. Over-engineered more like it, but whatever. I decide to let it go, for now. All right, thank you, I say. I'm sorry, but this is a popular destination in the winter. I'm afraid we only have one cabin available, says the short blonde woman who greets us at reception. Hopefully with two rooms, Joanna asks. No, we're more of a romantic getaway for couples. The cabins are open concept. So there's no chance of more than one bed, I suppose, I ask. The woman shakes her head. Afraid not. There's only one bed. How about a couch? Joanna asks. It's, um... The woman eyes me up and down. It's a love seat. I think too short for you, sir. Joanna taps my arm. I'll flip you for it. We'll take it, I tell the woman and hand her my credit card. With the key and a map directing us to cabin number 12, we head out of the reception lodge. When she parks the car again, I hand Joanna the key. You take the cabin, I tell her. What happened to flipping for it? Nah, I'll be fine. Take it. I've been cold weather camping plenty of times. Her eyes narrow a fraction with distrust. What is this? You don't recognize chivalry when you see it, Miss Elliot? That makes me sad. She snatches the card from my hand. All right, she says. Have it your way. As she gets out of the car, more like hops out of this monster jeep, but before she can close the door, I yell after her. You could stand to be a bit more of a lady, you know. Just before the door slams, I hear an ugh, and she storms inside. Ten minutes later, there's a tap on the window, so I roll it down. Here, she says coolly. She hands me a rolled blanket and a pillow. Next, she hands me a paper cup with a lid. There are extra blankets in the cabin. Try to stay alive, will you? I'll do my best, but what do you care? She smiles at me. I'd hate to waste a beautiful snowy morning dealing with police reports. Smiling, I sip from the cup and close my eyes as hot chocolate coats my tongue. Chapter Four Joanna If anyone had asked me yesterday, I would never in a million years have guessed that Roger would give up a cabin, let alone one he paid for, for me of all people. Disdain and contempt are the only two feelings Roger has ever expressed toward me. But tonight, tonight he was playful. I'm not sure what it is about it. If it's the ridiculous situation we found ourselves in, or gratitude that 
my car could get us to a safer location. Whatever the reason, his kindness makes me feel almost uncomfortable with its infrequency. I could have slept on the couch easily, but this bed is pure, inviting bliss with its thick duvet, knit throw blankets, and excessive fluffy pillows. Couple that with the fire I started in the fireplace and the stack of books on the bedside table. Yeah, I was greedy and decided not to share. Besides, he said he's been cold weather camping before. How different could this be? I strip to my underwear and get under the covers, cozy with a book. So much so that I don't remember falling asleep. When I wake again, it must be hours later. The room is darker, the fire down to embers, and someone is knocking at the door. I jolt out of bed and grab the robe from the bathroom before answering it. Roger stands on the other side, his hands by his mouth as he blows air into them. What happened to cold weather camping? I ask and step aside to gesture for him to come in. Smartass, I had thermal clothing for that. I eye his outfit. Though he has a nice wool coat, there's a distinct lack of gloves or a hat, not to mention the dress trousers and loafers that I'm sure do nothing for warmth. Roger heads to the restroom, and I get back under the covers, my bathrobe still on. When he comes out, he says, A short couch is better than that uncomfortable car. I sit up. I'm sorry. You're calling my car uncomfortable? The seats are made of hard plastic, Joanna. You think you'd be more comfortable sleeping in yours? Your car is shorter than that love seat. Roger's mouth opens, his rebuttal in the back of his throat, I can tell. Instead, he closes his mouth and starts undressing until he's down to boxers. Though he's facing the other direction, he says, A lady would never watch a man undress. I study him in the faint light. He's put on a bit of weight in the last few years. His back is broader, his belly softer. All the same, my mouth waters at the sight of him nearly naked. I never claimed to be a lady, I say. He laughs. No, no one would accuse you of that. Before he has time to lie down on the sofa, I call after him. But it's also before I have a chance to think. Just come here, I say. He looks up at me. What? You're probably freezing. We can share a bed. We have before. Are you trying to seduce me? He asks, a brow raised. In your dreams, Kemp. Now come on. Let's go to sleep. I have a long day of tailing you again tomorrow. He runs a hand through his hair to push it out of his eyes and comes to sit on the bed. Even facing the other direction as he gets in bed, I can sense the roll of his eyes in his voice. Of course you do. When he's settled and has mostly stopped shaking, I ask, how do you get into talent management? Roger groans. What happened to sleeping? It's very hard for me to fall asleep once I've woken up. 
So we all must suffer? Yeah. So? Family business. My mom had a talent agency. Had? Yeah. She passed when we... When I was a teenager. Oh, I'm sorry. Did she manage anyone I would know? It's doubtful, he says. After a moment, he adds, You know, I've been thinking a lot about what you said in Mexico. What's that? About what you write. That you've never, not once, written gossip about the band. Yeah? I didn't realize. How could you not? Since those first few years, I haven't really read your stuff. I stopped after... Anyway, I didn't realize, and I'm sorry. It's all noise to you, isn't it? What is? What's written about the band? I suppose. I mean, when it's about their lives... I have to put out fires, but actual critical assessments, I don't track those as much. If it isn't making money, right? Yeah, that doesn't mean it's right. I should have. What I'm writing will be historical documents, Roger. Long after we're all gone, in the pantheon of great rock music, will be industrial November. As written by Joanna Elliot. That's why you do it. The legacy? I scoot closer to him and grab his hand in mine. Roger, your hands are still freezing. Unbelting the robe under the covers, I part it and tug on his opposite arm so he'll get on his side facing me. I move his hand to my waist and wrap a leg around his. What are you doing? Skin-to-skin contact will warm you up faster. Yes, but Joanna. It's okay. You've seen me naked, touched me pretty much everywhere. Roger swallows and scoots even closer until his chest is pressed to mine, separated only by my bra. I don't do it for a legacy. Not mine, anyway. I could not care less about my legacy, I care about Industrial November's legacy, their work, your work. I want it written down for posterity. I don't know when it happened, when I stopped knowing that. Because I think I did once, and I lost sight of that. Lost sight of you. Thank you. I think I should be the one thanking you. I say. What for? For seeing me. Finally. Chapter 5 Roger And I do see her. See her as she is, not as I have built her up in my mind, as an annoying gnat I constantly have to swat away from the band or me. Joanna Elliot, the person. Joanna Elliot, the music critic, the writer. The woman hungry for life, hungry for rock and roll, ambitious in her career, 
passionate in the execution of her words. Before I came in, I logged on to the cabin's Wi-Fi. I read her most recent articles about the band, though she's written about other bands as well. In everything I read, I could not find one word about Bren's partner Sophia or their daughter. Not a word about the new guitarist's new wife after a fast engagement. Not a trace of Fritz and Erica. Even when I know for a fact gossip circuits covered her purchase of him at the celebrity auction. Every piece I read was a deep analysis of the lyrics or comparative writing hearkening industrial November's influences to bands past. She is 100% accurate. What she's writing, it's not sleazy tabloid material. It's a historical document. She has also improved her writing immensely since the start of her career. I do see you, Joanna. And I think I finally know you. Even in the faint light from the dying fire, I see her goofy grin. I brush her hair back and away from her cheek, then lean in to kiss her. I've kissed her before, earlier tonight in her car, and last year on New Year's Eve. But those kisses were hungry and angry, frustrated at wanting her, her body, her mind, but hating that she always reached out because she needed something from me, access to the band, never reaching out for me. But I've been reading her wrong this entire time. She could have approached others for her reporting, but it has always started with me. Has it been an excuse to talk with me, be around me? Have I misunderstood her this entire time? Did I see the worst of her because I've always seen the worst in me? I saw what I wanted to see, so I would never have to trust anyone, never have to be vulnerable, never again have to let anyone in. This kiss isn't violent. This kiss, this kiss is soft and tender. It's slow and inviting, set to the rhythm of her heart, her heart that beats for rock and roll and for my lips on her body. In one graceful movement, Joanna wrestles me to my back and straddles my body. She sheds the robe, leaving the sight of her body in bra and panties, with these cute little handles of flesh spilling over the waistband. Her curves and soft belly are a glorious sight. Let me add a few more logs to the fire. I need to see you, baby. I say, sitting up to kiss her. I stand with her in my arms and set her down on the bed while I go stoke the fire and pile on a couple of logs. When I come back, she's where I left her, splayed out on the mattress, her hair a wild mess of dark strands like a halo around her. And fuck, I feel the precum seep from me. Crawling up and over her, I grab both hands above her head and grip her wrists in my left hand. With my free hand, I trace her belly, teasing at the waistband of the white cotton thong. I like your panties, I tell her. Yeah, she whimpers against my neck. Yeah, 
so soft, I want to fuck them. Can I fuck your panties, sweet Joanna? She moans, still against my skin. Please. I tuck the fabric to the side, making room for my cock, and slide up and down her seam, spreading her wet all over her lips. I thrust into the thong, teasing, but not going anywhere near her entrance. In her desperation, Joanna's hips undulate in sync with my thrusting, seeking my head to engulf me and rubbing her clit against my shaft. Please, Roger, she says. Please what, baby? What do you need? I need you, please. I'm right here. She struggles to free her wrists from my grip, but I only tighten it. Fuck me, Roger, I need your cock inside me. I need you to fill me up. Jesus Christ, Joanna, you have a mouth on you. Please, she begs again. I like you frustrated and begging. Please, I'm begging you, fuck me. I clear my throat and look her in the eye. Condoms? I'm clean and on birth control, she hurries to say. You get an STD panel regularly? I nod. Okay, let's ditch them. I growl in her ear. Thank fuck. Instead of fucking her, though, I free my cock of her panties and stand, picking her up in my arms. With my shaft nestled between her lips and only the thong separating us, I take her into the bathroom so I can set her down on the vanity. Joanna glances at the mirror on both walls surrounding the vanity. You want to watch us, fuck? I smile at her, teasing her with my cock again. I pull away for one second, just long enough to free her of her thong. Joanna's hand wraps around my cock, squeezing it and guiding it into her. Her legs wrap around my waist, her ankles crossed behind me. And with what seems like every ounce of strength in her thick thighs, she pulls me into her in one full stroke. I still inside her, pressing my forehead to hers. Fuck, I say. You feel amazing. The only time we fucked before this, we used protection. It was great, but this is beyond anything I could have imagined. Her face turns, and she's no longer looking at me. I follow her gaze to the mirror, where our eyes lock. Fuck me, she says, and something snaps. My fingers dig into her hips, and I drill her with all the strength I have. I watch as she sneaks a hand between us to give her clit some attention, and I slap it away. Stopping for a moment, I turn her head by her jaw to face me. That's my job now, understand? She nods, and I sneak my thumb to her clit, then resume my thrusting. When she comes and begs me to stop because she's too sensitive, I continue to overstimulate her. Watching her eyes roll to the back of her head, I add forced orgasms to the list of must-haves every time I fuck Joanna Elliott, because this sure as hell won't be the last time.
We spend several minutes in bed in the afterglow, my cum dripping from her while she catches her breath. That was amazing, she says. It truly was. I need a shower, though. Sure thing. Let me send off a quick text for work, and I'll be right in to join you. Joanna leans over to kiss me, then saunters to the bathroom once more. I had placed my phone on the bedside table to charge, and I want to text Milo about plans for tomorrow. When I reach to disconnect the charger, I accidentally knock over Joanna's purse, spilling most of the contents on the floor. Fuck! I hurry to pick up her laptop case, hoping it didn't break. If it did, I'll replace it for her. I return a makeup bag, a packet of tissues, and a small notebook. I glimpse the corner of a wallet that fell under the bed, and I reach to grab it. As I slide it toward me, a card falls out. I reach for it next and pick it up, turning it over. I smile. It's her driver's license. I smile when I see her birthday, confirming I had guessed right. I've always had a feeling she looks younger than she really is. But I accidentally glance at something that is not her birthday. When I glimpse it, my blood freezes en route to my heart, stopping it for a fraction of a second. The water running in the shower amplifies until it's all I can hear, and I look up at the opened bathroom door that now seems to lead to an abyss. The name on the driver's license is not Joanna Elliot. What the fuck? Chapter 6 Joanna Aren't you going to join me? I call out from the shower. I'm nearly done cleaning up and getting the last of the conditioner out of my hair. Roger doesn't respond, and I don't hear any movement, wondering if he maybe stepped outside to make the call or get something from the car. I'm about to shut the water off when a pair of strong hands yank me back and turn me over. Before I can think about what's happening, my back meets cold tile and water runs down my face. I turn away from it and try to wipe it from my face, but Roger's grip is pinning my upper arms and keeping me in place. What the fuck, Roger? What is this? Who the fuck are you? I spit, trying to get my face away from the water. Finally, Roger must have reached to shut it off, and I wipe my face so I can look at him. When I do, his eyes are full of fire, his jaw set, and his grip on my arms is a fraction too strong. If I didn't know Roger for as long as I have, that look on his face would be frightening. But as it stands, I've seen him furious plenty of times before. What is it now? I ask. A bit annoyed, our perfect moment seems to be ruined now. He lifts a hand to show me where my driver's license rests between two fingers. You went through my stuff? I ask. No, I knocked your purse over and it fell out. He lets go of me completely and takes a step back. More calmly, he says, Now answer me. Who the fuck are you? 
Is this a joke? I ask. Lena put you up to this, didn't she? Who is Lena? Up to what? His eyes narrow. Is she why you're always around? Have you been following the band to spy on me? I push past him to grab a towel to wrap in. Spy on you? I have no idea what you're talking about. Then why use a fake name, Juana Estrada? I swallow. Oh. I haven't used my legal name in so long, I completely forgot my driver's license would have looked different in his eyes. I awkwardly laugh, trying to diffuse the situation. Oh, that's what this is about. What have you told her? He asks, his voice eerily soft. Told who? You are making no sense. Lena, you have been the one keeping tabs on me for her. Of course. How else would she know exactly where I am and with whom? Listen to me. I do not know who or what you're talking about. You cost me full guardianship of my daughter. And you don't know what I'm talking about. Then the pieces fall into place. Wait, you think I've been an informant for your ex? She extorted more than enough from me to be able to afford you. That much is certain. In the span of three minutes, since he barged into the shower until this accusation, my heart has split in half. Whatever rivalry we might have had between us until now was all professional. In my heart, I've always respected Roger, and I thought he respected me back. I thought he respected me enough not to accuse me of something as low as this, something so below the belt, that I would ever actively work to sabotage time with his daughter. His daughter. A daughter I had no idea existed until this very moment. I head to the bedroom to quickly get dressed again. Once I feel more comfortable in clothes, I whisper, I didn't know you had a daughter, Roger. I also do not know your ex, nor have I been spying on you for any reason other than to get you to lead me to Milo so I can talk with him about his future career as a lyricist. Those are truly my only motives. Then why have you been using a fake name? Why write under a fake name at all? I jut my chin upward. Not much else I can do to match his height and seem confident. There couldn't be a legitimate reason, could there? Why is it you must always think the worst of me? You have not given me a reason not to. So the default is distrust until proven otherwise? He swallows and nods, but the nod is not a confident one. Between his teeth, he says, Now tell me, why the fake name? You don't get to know. You don't get to accuse me of something I didn't do and demand any insights into who I am like it's your damn right. Joanna, tell me. I need to know you didn't do this. You need to know I didn't do what you're accusing me of? The nerve! 
please, he says. His eyes soften into something that seems pleading. Exasperated, I drop my eyes to my feet. Look at me, Roger. What do you mean? Take a good look at me. I'm a short, brown woman with a wide nose. Roger throws his hands in the air. Joanna, you're beautiful. What are you talking about? And what does it have to do with anything? I know I'm beautiful, you jerk. That's not the point. But look at my industry. It is white, male-dominated, and the few jobs that still exist are highly competitive. How many interviews do you think I would get with a name like Juana Estrada on the resume? How far do you think I'd get as a professional music critic in this skin? Oh, Joe, I'm not ashamed of it. Not of using a fake name to kick down a door I needed to walk through to do what I love. I'm also not ashamed of my real name, my parents' name. So no, Roger, I don't owe you anything. Not my story or why I took on a pseudonym a decade ago. And don't you dare judge me. Because a decade ago, you accepted that first interview request from Joe Elliott with Steel Hard Rock magazine. And we both know you would never have with Juana Estrada and her small personal blog. Chapter 7 Roger Distrust until proven otherwise. Yeah, that's been my policy for so long, I didn't even realize I was still doing it. But with Joanna, I should have known better. You know a person for a decade, professional rivalries aside, you should be a good judge of their character. More than once now, I realize I've misjudged her. Why is it so easy? Because she's a woman? Because of how she looks, as she says? Why the fuck was it so easy for me to dismiss someone I've worked with for a decade? And would I have had she been a man? And a white one at that? I'm so, so sorry, Joanna. I can't do anything with your sorries, she says. I swallow hard, watching as she sits on the love seat, her arms and legs both crossed. No, you can't do anything with my apology. But what about with my actions? Her hands fall to her lap as she looks up at me, a cute little wrinkle between her brows. So I keep talking. I shouldn't have doubted you. I don't trust anyone, really, for many reasons. My past hasn't given me much experience with earned trust. But I shouldn't have judged you for it. I don't like feeling that way. You said distrust until proven otherwise. I'd like to flip that if you'd let me. Let me show you that I trust you, that you've earned it, but more importantly, that you're deserving of it. I can only do that with time. Time? She asks. Let me prove with time that I'm not judging you, 
that you can trust me as well, that I'll never again pull off something like tonight. With time? Yes. Joanna Elliot, would you date me? Not these sordid one-night stands. Get to know me. Who I am, where I come from. Maybe one day soon, introduce you to my daughter. Give me time to show you that I can deserve you. I don't know. I'm pretty pissed, she says, trying to hide the start of a smile. Would breakfast help? It wouldn't hurt. Okay. Let's see if the roads are clear, and I'll take you to breakfast. I'll ask you to date me again after you're fed. Joanna sets her napkin next to her plate. You're right. I'm in a much better mood. Much more amenable to dating. I only smile in response. Ask me again, she says. Joanna, would you like to go on a date sometime? And then a second and then a third? Time, right? I want your time, yes. All right, then. I suppose you'll do, she says with a grin. Our first date is in about an hour. Make sure you have your notebook with you. Where are we going, she asks. I wink at her. You'll see. I have to say... A rehabilitation center is not what I had in mind for a first date, Joanna says. It's not? I ask. She's smiling, and I think we both know she knows why we're here. We were shown to a private visiting room, and within ten minutes, there's a knock at the door. Milo walks in, and I'm all too glad to see his face has filled out a little, Though I know to Joanna, he looks much slimmer than his last public images. He looked so much worse the last time I saw him. Hey, man, Milo says, taking my hand and giving me half a hug with a pat on my back. Next, he goes to Joanna and offers her his hand for a shake. You must be the reporter Roger won't shut up about. Joanna blinks at me. You won't shut up about me? Here's the deal, I say to her. If you want it, you can have your interview. One hour. The location and his rehab are off the record. I'm present during the interview, and you can't go to print until I've had a chance to speak with the band. Joanna nods, and Milo clears his throat. You sure about this? He asks. I nod. I have to be. Joanna figured it out. Others might too, with time. It will be so much worse if Fritz and Carl hear it elsewhere. Bren and I have to tell them. With that, Joanna sits in front of Milo, and I try to make myself invisible in the corner. I smile as she fires off her first question. There were three through-composed songs in the last album. Milo rubs his bottom lip with his thumb and smiles. There were. That 
was your signature before you left the band, and it reappeared in the Breaking This Way album. Why would you assume it wasn't Bren? Most critics do. He dedicated the album to his partner, so it was easy to write it off as his work. Milo's eyes sparkle with amusement. I nod at him, giving him permission to speak freely. But I know he's just as impressed at her detective work. I'm not hearing a question, he teases. Did you ghostwrite lyrics for Industrial November? Yes. Is this something you'll keep on doing? Are you on contract? It wouldn't be ghostwriting if I answered that, would it? Have you ghostwritten for any other musicians? No. Do you plan to? Milo shrugs. Who knows what the future holds? I've always believed you were a stronger lyricist than you were a guitar player. Milo throws his head back with laughter. I know Carl Summer is a better guitarist. Hell, so is his wife. And yet, the band lost something when they lost you. A lyricist? Milo asks. A unique style. Milo leans forward and rests his elbows on his knees so he can clasp his hands together. Bren and I, more than songwriters, were poets. We met in poetry writing classes, critiqued each other. Our artistic collaboration runs much deeper than the founding of Industrial November. Following Milo's lead to a discussion about poetry, Joanna fires question after question until her hour is up. By the end, Milo is just as much in awe of her as I am, if not more. Joanna stands when she's done and says her goodbye to Milo. I'll catch up to you. I need to run over some things with Milo, I say. She nods and closes the door behind her. Wow, Milo says. That was the best interview I've ever done. Thanks for bringing her by. I know, she's pretty spectacular. She's interviewed everyone on the band many times over. Can't believe it's her first with you. Milo shrugs, though we both know why that is. He was never sober enough for interviews. How did she convince you? I thought you and Bren were taking this secret to the grave. It was only a matter of time. Milo's head tilts to the side as he studies me. Oh, he says. Oh, what? Her brain works as fast as yours. Faster, I correct. Don't fuck that up. You've finally met your match. I let the tow truck take my car back to Kansas City, and I'm driving Joanna's when she thanks me. I'm going to make editor with this story. You think so? Yeah. Patty Smith brought poetry to rock. It got lost in the grunge scene. But Milo? Milo Metsasalma resurrected poetry and changed the landscape of music once again. That's the story here. It's revolutionary.
Well, I hope you get the promotion you want. If I don't, I'll walk away. I tear my gaze from the road to blink at her. You'd walk away from Steel Hard Rock magazine? If they don't make me editor? Yeah. This story will put me on the map. I can write independently. Not that you need it, but good luck. Thanks, Roger. For the interview, for trusting me, for realizing that what I do adds to the landscape of music rather than take away from it. Epilogue Roger I'm jogging on the treadmill and don't hear Joanna come in past my music. I gave her a key to my apartment a week into dating. When I finally took her out on that first proper date, we went to an amazing restaurant. She was in the middle of her sea bass dinner when she had a thought she simply could not wait to write. Having dressed up and only having a clutch with her, she was notebookless and penless. She asked the waiter for a cocktail napkin and to borrow his pen. She scribbled down her thoughts with that adorable wrinkle between her brows while she thought. And that's when I knew. As she chewed on her dinner and completely ignored me to make that note. That's when I knew. She's the one. I didn't tell her that. It had only been a few days of dating. But I've known her a decade. And I do know her. And I'm certain she's the one. I plan on asking her to come to Germany with me in a few months to meet my daughter. I just need to get Fritz settled before I leave the country. Joanna reaches in front of me to stop the treadmill, and I hop off to take her in my arms. We need to celebrate, she says, then kisses me. What are we celebrating? I ask. Before she has a chance to answer me, my phone interrupts, and I see a call from Fritz on the screen. Hold on one second. I need to take this. I'm sorry, but he's going through something. Go ahead. I'll open an expensive bottle of champagne from your collection in the meantime. She walks away, and I smile after her, feeling like she belongs here, in this condo, with me. I pick up the call from Fritz. Hello? You need to come back to Mexico, he says. Why? What's happened? It's Erica. Please, Roger, I need you here. I sigh into the phone while I rub my temples. I'll book the next flight out. Thanks, ma'am. I find Joanna in the kitchen, pouring a bottle into two champagne flutes. I'm sorry. I say, I have to go on a short trip for work. Never apologize for that, she says. I'll be dropping things to work all the time, and it feels great not having to feel guilty for that. You get it. Thank you, I say, relieved to be with someone who understands that finally. Can I ask what's going on? She asks. Off the record? I tease her. Of course, 
It's Fritz. He's going through something. I'm afraid Industrial November might be retiring soon. What? She asks. As she waits for my answer, her eyes well. Yeah, I think we might be close to the end. Oh, I'm so sorry, Roger. Me too. Any chance the downfall of the greatest band currently alive has to do with a certain notorious plus-size telenovela diva? I scratch the back of my neck. Maybe? Her goofy grin melts me. That would make me so happy. What would? I ask. If that curvy goddess ends up with the billionaire rock star. Anyway, I say, I have to get on the next flight out. Of course. Come with me? She blinks at me. What? To Mexico? Yes, to Mexico. But also everywhere, all the time. Her hand presses down on her chest over her heart. Yes, she breathes out. Yes? She nods. You just can't write about any of it. Deal. Now what is it you wanted to celebrate? Seems wrong to celebrate when you might have bad news soon. No. I shake my head. Don't do that. Don't diminish your accomplishments to save my feelings or my ego. She runs a hand through my hair. You're pretty perfect, aren't you? I shrug playfully. I try. Now tell me the good news. She takes a deep breath. I did it. I told my boss I'm editor or I walk. Were you ready to accept the bluff if it failed? Of course. But it didn't fail. And I made editor. I knew you'd do it, I say, and kiss the tip of her nose. What's next on your path, I ask. I'll wait a few years until he retires, and then I'll gun for his job. I stare dreamily into space. Joanna Elliott, I say. Editor-in-chief, Steel Hard Rock Magazine. I like the sound of that. Joanna shakes her head. No, that's not quite right. What do you mean? Her grin is massive when she answers. Juana Estrada, editor-in-chief, Steel Hard Rock Magazine. I kicked that door down. Now I'm leaving it open behind me. And I'm so fucking proud. I grab her by the waist to lift her off her feet until she wraps her legs around me. I waggle my eyebrows. Now we really celebrate. Not with champagne, either. As I walk to our room with her in my arms, she reaches to grab something from her back pocket, and the crinkle of a wrapper has me looking down at her hand until I'm shaking with laughter. A granola bar. The End Want more steamy rock star novellas? The Rock My World Anthology features over 25 authors writing rock star romance. 
And if you're ready for Erica and Fritz's full-length novel, you can read this scorching hot story between a plus-sized telenovela diva and the billionaire rock star in Scorching to the Touch. Find out more at OpheliaMartinez.com. That's Ophelia with an F. This has been Blazing in the Blizzard by Ophelia Martinez, read for you by Ruby Hunt. Welcome back. Welcome back. Let's see. Um, thank you so much for Ophelia Martinez for bringing us Blazing the Blizzard. Oh, like this was amazing. We loved you once again being on the podcast with us. Thank you. It was awesome. So please come back again, just over and over and over. <laughs> Um, up next, we have Carla Doyle, who is also a repeat offender on the podcast. A repeat offender. Which I love. Yeah, a repeat offender. That's what I'm going to start calling them. That's what I feel is Wait, we've got to be like 10 strikes out. <laughs> right. No, no. There's like 50 on here. <laughs> they can keep coming back forever. Yeah, Carla Doyle's up next week. She's got a new book with us called Flushing It Out. So we'll have more on that next week. So make sure you tune back in. And we're just going to give you one fat juicy episode a week now tell them what to do fuck your day up make sure you're bitch don't be a dick bye guys bye read me romance read read me romance read me romance read read me romance you could take a look in a book that's fine or you could sit back relax and unwind and read me romance read read me romance